It's a joy for us to have uh, children worshiping with us once again. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start from verse 53. Matthew chapter 13. Uh, children, please follow along. If you don't have a Bible with you, please follow along with your parents. We're going to be looking at starting at Matthew 13, verse 53. And while you guys are doing that, I want to give you all an update on our building purchase. Last week, unfortunately, we did find out from the sellers that they did turn down all offers on the building, uh, the offer to purchase Hancock United Methodist Church in Springfield. Uh, they, they turned down all offers, including our own. They plan to list the property with a real estate agent with the hope of getting a higher bid. That said, there's still mutual interest you know, from Risen Hope to purchase this property, and there's interest from them to sell it to another church. So there's ongoing conversation and negotiation. We are going to continue to raise funds through the Hope Rising Fund for a down payment. But in the event that the building falls through, we are going to use these funds and put them into our building fund for a future opportunity. So whatever's given for the Hope Rising Fund will either go to this building or to a future building. And we do have some exciting news to announce. Uh, the fact that the you know, Hope Rising Fund, we've actually raised over $12,000 at this point, even though we have just started. You can see the graphic up there. Uh, that includes a $10,000 gift from the Northeast region of Sovereign Grace Churches. It's a significant gift. It's, um, you know, as we as pastors reflect on that, it's a joy for us to be in gospel partnership with other churches within Sovereign Grace. But then in this situation, we get to be the recipient of the generosity of other churches within our region. So, so we want to share the exciting news that we have a great start to our Hope Rising Fund. We are going to have three special offerings for the Hope Rising Fund. The first one starting April 28th. You can give to the Hope Rising Fund through the normal offering. Just make sure it's in the Hope Rising Fund envelope or put that in the memo line of your check. And as you're leaving this afternoon, this evening, our ushers will be passing out a Hope Rising Fund FAQ, question, frequently asked questions that you might have about how we're doing our funding campaign. We want to finally remind you that all proceeds or all profits from Tim's book, 3030 Hindsight, purchased from the book nook will go directly to the Hope Rising Fund. Well, let me pray for us before we open up God's Word. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence aware that were it not for the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus, the blood that was poured out, the body that was broken, that we were so powerfully reminded of just a few moments ago, we would have no access to you. So it is on the basis of grace that we can come and come and just ask that you would be among us by your spirit, that you would open our eyes to the wonderful things in your law, that you would teach us of your son, Jesus Christ, that we might know him and follow him more faithfully. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, the last two weeks we've been talking about generous giving. Tim did a wonderful job preaching through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We're back in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, which is about a king and a kingdom. The king is King Jesus, and the kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew does show and tell for us. And I'm going to engage with the kids here. I want everyone engaged with me as I preach God's word. So here's a question for boys and girls. How many of you have done show and tell in your school? Anyone does show and tell? Now, are there any boys or girls who would be brave enough just to share what they brought in for show and tell? Is anyone, anyone brave enough? 
What did you bring in for show? Nice and loud. Did you bring something special? You forgot? Anybody? It's okay. It's okay. Putting, putting you on the spot. Anybody want to share what they brought in for show and tell? Any brave, brave boy or girl? Yes. What's Your pet. Your pet. Did you actually, was it a cat or a dog? Or? Guinea pig. You brought in your guinea pig to class for show and tell. Thank you. So, so show and tell has two parts, obviously, right? Show and tell. You need both. If you only show, people aren't going to understand why this guinea pig or teddy bear is so important to you. You need to tell them about it. But if you only tell about your guinea pig, then people are going to wonder, well, what's so special? They want to see it. They want to see what's special. And in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew shows us that Jesus is the king. He does show and tell. He shows Jesus is the king through his power, through his authority. Jesus works miracles, right? The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life. Matthew shows us that Jesus is king. But not only that, Matthew tells us that Jesus is king. He tells us that he's a king, there's a kingdom, and most importantly, how to be part of that kingdom. And this kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. It's a perfect kingdom with no sin or sickness or sadness or death. And most of all, those who belong to King Jesus, if you die in united to King Jesus, you'll be with him forever and with all the people that King Jesus has loved and died for. And as we've gone through the Gospel of Matthew, we've seen this show and tell. And now we're going to see how people are beginning to respond to Jesus, respond to Matthew as he does his show and tell. So let's turn our attention to chapter 13. I'm going to read from verses 53 to 58. So Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 to 58. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You see, Jesus has gone back to his hometown. This is really the hometown of Nazareth, where he grew up with Joseph and Mary. And he was known as a carpenter there. That's what his dad did. That's what he was trained up to do. But the people didn't believe that he was anything more than just a carpenter. Just a guy who built the things. They say, well, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Jesus just looks like an ordinary human being. His mother is Mary. We know who his brothers are. We know who his sisters are. He's just like one of us. They didn't believe that Jesus is King Jesus, that he's King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's what we see today. Most people believe that Jesus, if he existed, yeah, he existed, but he was a human being. 
Uh, yeah, a good human being, a wise human being, a powerful human being, maybe even a miracle-working human being, but just a human being. People don't believe that he is also the Son of God. Second person of the Trinity, God made flesh. They don't believe that his death and resurrection is the only way our sins can be forgiven. They don't believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus makes it very clear. People from other religions, no matter how sincere they are, they don't go to heaven. So it doesn't matter if you're a sincere Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or an atheist, anyone who dies in their sins dies under God's judgment for that sin and ends up in a place that the Bible calls hell. So just as Jesus was rejected at Nazareth, he was rejected and his message, his good news was rejected, the world rejects his message and his disciples today. Now, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, if you're holding on to him for dear life, are you ready to be rejected by this world? Are you ready for others to think of you as weird, as strange, as crazy for placing all of your hope in this Jewish Messiah? Are you ready, as a Christ follower, to lose friends, to lose your reputation? Are you ready even to lose your life so that you can gain eternal life? It's one thing to follow King Jesus when it's easy, but it's another thing when it's hard. And in parts of this world, if you tell somebody about King Jesus, that could get you thrown into prison or even killed. Or even if you are caught with a Bible, that carries a death sentence simply for having a Bible. Following King Jesus will cost you what you can't keep, but you will gain what you can't lose. Following Jesus will cost you what you can't keep, but you will gain what you can't lose. This is nothing new. This has been a reality for anyone who has ever wanted to follow God, follow God faithfully. And this has happened to Jesus happened to his disciples and happened even to John the Baptist, the reality of rejection, the reality of paying a cost. Let's continue in our passage here, looking at Matthew 14. Matthew 14, verses 1 through 12. Let's continue in the narrative. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miracle, miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. 
And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. John the Baptist, disciple of Jesus, he confronted the ruling authority of his day. He told Herod the Tetrarch, Herod the Tetrarch, that he had broken God's commandment, that what he was doing was unlawful, that he had broken the Tenth Commandment, he had coveted. He wanted something that belonged to someone else. That he had broken the Eighth Commandment. He had stolen what didn't belong to him. He had stolen another man's wife. And that he had also broken the Seventh Commandment, committing adultery. He didn't keep his promise that he had made to his first wife, that he would love her and be her husband until the very end of his life. And so because John the Baptist was a disciple, he lived for Jesus, what happened to John the Baptist? Here's a question for boys and girls who are listening carefully. What happened to John the Baptist? Because he was a disciple. Yep. He was killed. Before he was killed, he was arrested. He was thrown into prison. And then he was executed for following Jesus. He could have cho chosen an easier way. He could have said, well, I'm going to stop preaching about sin and judgment. I'm going to stop following Jesus. He could have chosen to do that. But if you're a true disciple, a true disciple can't stop following Jesus. That's the point Jesus makes in Luke 9.23. No matter the cost, a true disciple can't stop. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever, for whoever save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? There are hunters, monkey hunters, throughout Asia and Africa that set a clever trap. I'm going to have a, uh, a volunteer help me with this object lesson. Wesley Coe, you can come forward. He's going to pretend to be a hungry monkey in the jungles of Africa, okay? And this is a monkey, monkey, monkey trap. What they'll do, hunters will do, is they'll take a jar or they'll take maybe a coconut, they'll hollow it up, and they'll put a piece of fruit inside in order to trap the monkey. And what the monkey will do is, monkey will climb a tree. Can you, can you climb up a little higher so people can see it? There you go. They'll climb a tree and then they'll stick their hand inside the jar and then form a fist. Warm a fist, okay, and then now try to pull it out. Try to pull it out. You see, his hand can't come out. And so, so the monkey will be there wanting to get the fruit. The hand is stuck because he's got his hand in the fist. And then along comes the hunter and kills the monkey. Okay, all right, you can go back. Thank you. Thank you, Wesley. Thank you, Wesley. And for us, we are tempted to hold on to things. We're tempted to hold on to your life, to money, to security, to comfort, to reputation. Something good can trap you and end up destroying you. Something good can keep you from the best. See, the monkey, as it holds on to what it wants, it ends up losing its life. If you try to save your life, Jesus said, you will lose it. Try to save your earthly life, you'll lose it. Try to save your earthly life, you'll lose eternal life. 
And if you try to hold on to your earthly kingdom, to the earthly kingdom here, you'll lose the heavenly kingdom. And John made a choice. John the Baptist, he chose to give up his earthly life, the earthly kingdom, to gain the wealth, the riches, the honor and glory of heaven. Kingdom of heaven that will never fade, that will never pass away, that can never be destroyed, that can never be taken away from you. Following King Jesus will cost you what you can't keep, but you will gain what you can't lose. Some of you might be thinking, well, is it really worth it to follow King Jesus? Is it really worth it? And what we're going to see in the rest of this passage is some true stories given by Matthew about who Jesus is. And he's going to show us who Jesus is and why, again, it's worth everything to follow him. Matthew's going to do some more show and tell here. He's going to show us three reasons why you have to have, you must have, you need King Jesus. We're going to see King Jesus provides, King Jesus conquers, and King Jesus heals. Three reasons. King Jesus provides, King Jesus conquers, and King Jesus heals. So number one, King Jesus provides. Let's continue with verse 13 through 21 of chapter 14. So chapter 14, I'm going to read verses 13 through 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. So Jesus has just found out that John the Baptist, one of his disciples, was killed for being a disciple, laid down his life. Now, when he had heard this, he wants to go away to a desolate place, but Jesus' identity, his location, it can't be hidden. So people hear about it, they're coming to him, the crowds come, Jesus, filled with compassion, despite the grief, despite the sorrow, he heals the crowds. He heals them. It takes a while. And time passes. And now it's dinner time. It's dinner time and people are starting to get hungry. The disciples are hungry. And the great crowd is hungry. And there are needs that need to be met. It's a question for you boys and girls. What did the disciples want to do when they saw all of these needs around them? And they just felt so overwhelmed. Anyone paying attention? Any boys or girls painted? What did the disciples want to do when they saw all those needs around them? Anyone brave enough to answer? Oh, anyone? Yes? 
Did, he, did they want to help? They actually did the opposite. They did not want to help. They actually wanted to send the crowds away when they saw all those needs. Jesus does the opposite. You guys notice that? Jesus has compassion. He moves towards the needs. Disciples only see how big the need is, the needs are, but Jesus sees how big God is. So Jesus takes those five loaves and two fish, and he performs this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, 5,000 men. And if you add women and children, it might have been a crowd of 10,000 people. We learn from this that God is bigger than our needs. God is bigger than our needs. Think about your own needs. What needs do you have? What needs do we have as a church? I mean, we just talked about it. We need to raise 150000 for a down payment if this is the building that God would want us to have. We've got to raise these funds. And yet, God is bigger than these needs. Think about who God is. God created the entire universe by simply speaking it into existence. Out of nothing. He made it all. God made it all. God owns it all. So all of our needs can be met by God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that no matter how big your needs are, God is even bigger? That's what Paul writes about in Philippians 4.19. He says, And my God will supply every, every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And this miracle, we've read it, we've grown up hearing this miracle, it can be easy to become familiar with this miracle. But this miracle, if you stop and think about it, it shows us that Christ is able to meet all of our needs, especially our greatest needs of all. In John 6, Jesus preaches after feeding the 5,000, and he explains to the crowds, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. And Jesus says, hey, if you feast on me, if you follow me, if you make your life about me, then you will live forever. That's what Jesus promises after he performs the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew wants us to learn, if you live for King Jesus, you will live forever. So, number one, King Jesus provides. That's why we need him. King Jesus provides. Now, number two... King Jesus conquers. Number two, King Jesus conquers. So let's continue. Again, follow along as we read, starting from verse 22 to 33. Verse, chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself, to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart! It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got, up, got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. 
But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So after feeding the 5,000, performing this amazing miracle, showing people that he provides, that he is the bread of life come down from heaven, Jesus and the disciples, they, they split up. Jesus goes up to the mountain to pray, but then he sends his disciples into a boat to go across the sea to the other side. And it's not an easy journey. The disciples, after a long day, after a long day of ministry, they start rowing and rowing, and they row for hours on the sea, but they're not getting anywhere because there's a strong headwind against them. So they're rowing their boat, but they're not making any progress. The disciples are struggling. In Risen Hope Church, isn't that just a comforting reminder that the Christian life is a struggle? The Christian life is a struggle. We have marriages in our midst that are, that, that are facing strong headwinds. Marriages that have problems with communication, problems with trust, problems with intimacy, problems with unity. There are, there are marriages in our church that are barely hanging on. We have church members that are caring for elderly parents. We have an elderly parent who is, who is fighting, who is in the midst of going through the last stages of a terminal illness. A parent in hospice. A parent who has died. Jesus allows these disciples to go into the storm. He actually sends them into the storm. But, but they're not alone. They're not alone. What is Jesus doing while his disciples are in the storm, rowing against the wind? It's a question for boys and girls who is paying attention. What was Jesus doing while the disciples were there rowing? He's testing their faith. He was, he was doing that. There's something else he's doing. Do I have any? Does anybody know what? Yes. He was praying. That's right. Jesus was praying. Jesus was praying. He was praying to God. He was praying for his people. And of course, he would be praying for his disciples, praying for you and for me. Church, what kind of storms are you going through right now? Maybe you're not going through a storm right now. But you'll go, you'll go through one later. Jesus never guarantees any of us a storm-free life. In fact, we just saw that Jesus sent his disciples into a storm. The storms come, but Jesus prays. You catch that? Storms come, but Jesus prays. So Christian, disciple, remember when you feel alone in the storm that Jesus knows and Jesus prays that he has the power to conquer the storm. That he is with his people interceding on our behalf. Notice that the wind stopped and he brings his disciples safe to the other side. So he conquers the storm and he conquers our doubt as well. Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. And what does every disciple want to, where does every disciple want to be? They want to be with Jesus. 
They want to go to Jesus. So, so Peter, of course, gets up out of the safety of his boat. I mean, it wasn't all that safe because of the storm, but he gets up out of the boat, walks on the water because he wants to be with Jesus. He sees the wind and starts sinking. He begins to doubt. It's a question for you boys and girls. What does Peter do when he starts sinking? What does he do? Exactly. Cries out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And that's what disciples do. When disciples start to sink, we cry out. That's where we see the difference between the real disciple and the fake disciple, the pretend disciple. A pretender, they're not going to cry out to God when the storms hit. They're not going to see God as the solution. Sometimes they'll often blame God for the storm, or they'll blame God, or they'll see God as the problem and not the solution. What we see beautifully here is that the disciple of Christ, Peter, cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus comes, pulls him out, and rescues him. And he proves, Jesus proves that he has the power to conquer our greatest enemies, our greatest threats, whatever they are, the storms of life. But not only that, but he, as King Jesus, with all power, all authority, he conquers sin. He conquers Satan. He conquers death. If you're here with us this evening and you are a disciple of Jesus, you've surrendered everything to follow him, be sure of this. King Jesus will bring you safely home to heaven. Just as, just as Jesus brought his disciples safely across the sea, safely across the storm to the other side, Jesus will bring all of his disciples safely home to heaven. So Jesus provides Jesus conquers. Last part here, we see Jesus heals. Jesus heals. Look at verse 34 through 36. Verses 34 through 36. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. See that compassion of Jesus. Jesus, with his power and his love, people from all over the area come to Jesus, all the people who are sick, and everyone who touches even the fringe of Jesus' garment is made well. They're healed. And here, again, through show and tell, Matthew gives us a little picture of who Jesus is. Jesus proves that he has the power to heal, not just our body, but our soul. And we at Risen Hope Church, we're a continuationist church. We believe that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available for the church today, including the gift of healing. That means the Lord Jesus Christ, he heals today. He heals by the power of his spirit among his people. In fact, after service, because it's the first Sunday of the month, Pastor Leo and some other members of our church will be up front here to pray for anyone who wants healing, physical healing, spiritual healing. We're going to be available up here to pray for you. And we see Jesus, his power. He healed then. He heals now. And his healing will one day be complete when each of us when we are resurrected in Christ with our new bodies, resurrected bodies, and we enter the new heavens and new earth. And when we're there, see, see even, 
even healing here and now is incomplete. Right? Healing is incomplete. No matter, if, no matter what illness or what struggle you're going through, even if God heals you, well, well, we each have to die one day. Our bodies are wasting away. We each have to die. But one day in the new heavens and the new earth, we'll experience that complete and perfect healing when Jesus promises he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes, that there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain anymore because all these things will have passed away. Following King Jesus will cost you what you can't keep, but you will gain what you can't lose. And we're seeing from Matthew that, that he's showing us the worth and power and glory of King Jesus. Why, why we need him, why we want him, why he is life. We've seen in Matthew the show and tell. We've seen show and tell, but how will you respond? How will each one of us respond? Nazareth rejected Jesus. Herod the Tetrarch killed John. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The decision to follow Jesus or not isn't a decision that we can put off forever. John the Baptist was in prison. He went into prison, but he didn't know that on a particular night there would be a dinner party because of Herod's birthday. And that on a particular night, Herod would make a promise. And that promise would lead, you know, one thing would lead to another. And then he would be executed for being a disciple of King Jesus. But John was ready. He was ready to die. Are you? Are you, are you ready for death? Does it matter how old or young you are? Does, nobody knows the day or the hour. Death, in fact, could come today, could come tomorrow, could come a year from now, 10 years from now, 100 years from now. We don't really know, but we do know this. Every day brings us one day closer to death. In fact, we are closer to death now. Each one of us here in this room, we are closer to death now than we were a minute ago, than we were an hour ago. So it's not if, but when. But when? So are you ready now? Are you ready today? And here's the warning for each one of us. Sometimes those who seem to be the closest to Jesus are actually the farthest away. The people of Nazareth, they, they grew up with Jesus. They heard him teach. They knew him since he was a boy. They heard about the miracles. They even saw a few miracles. But they rejected him. Boys and girls here, this is an important warning for each of you. Boys and girls here, you can hear my voice. Listen up. You can grow up in a Christian home. You can go to Promise Kingdom. You can go to church every single Sunday. You can read the Bible. But that doesn't make you a disciple. That doesn't make you a disciple. Just because you come to church, just because your parents are disciples, doesn't mean you will automatically be a disciple. Boys and girls, your heart has to be changed. Your life has to be changed by King Jesus. You have to come by faith to King Jesus. And you come to King Jesus when you repent and believe the gospel. And I have boys and girls repeat after me, repent and believe the gospel. Can I hear that? Repent and believe the gospel. You have to repent and believe the gospel. And repent simply means hating sin. 
Hating living life your own way. Hating living for yourself. Because God hates sin. And God hates selfishness. God hates disobedience to mom and dad. God hates lying. God hates stealing. And God hates cheating. That's what it means to repent. And the other part of that is to believe. To believe King Jesus. To believe that it's impossible for you to ever be good enough to get to heaven on your own. To believe that there's nothing you can do to earn your way to heaven. That it is by grace that you are saved. Believe. You have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Believe that he rose after three days to conquer sin, Satan, death, and hell. And to believe that his perfect righteousness can be yours by faith. So boys and girls, if you have any questions about what it means to follow King Jesus, talk to mom. Talk to dad. Talk to them today. Ask them. How can I follow King Jesus? How can I be sure that I can go to heaven? How can I make sure that I give up everything so that I can have Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son for us as our provider, as our conqueror, as our healer, as the one who gives us life. Pray for each boy, each girl here that you would change their lives. God, that they would come to us true and saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that you would cause them to be born again. I pray, God, for the disciples here, God, that we would consider what it means to follow you in a culture that is increasingly more and more hostile to disciples of Jesus. God, help us to count the cost. Help us to follow Jesus no matter what it will cost us. In Jesus' name.